This morning, as we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 8, and our text is going to be the first 13 verses of chapter 8. Um, set the, the context a little bit. Jesus has now come down off the mountain. He's concluded the Sermon on the Mount. He's done teaching everything. The people are astounded because of the way uh, he teaches with authority, not like the scribes who would constantly go back and point to other authority and other interpretations and so on and so forth. And in this passage this morning, I mean, 13 verses, that's kind of a marathon for me. That's, that's a whole lot of text to get through. But, but don't look at me like that. It happens every now and then. Um, we see two different encounters with people that demonstrate a, really, really, really great faith, and B, the nature of the kingdom uh, and how it's not going to include those that you think it would include or that the Jews would think it would include. So if you would, stand with me this morning as I read from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray. Father, as common as these accounts are that we read in the gospel, because we've all heard them and, and we've all read them, I pray that we would not lose sight of the importance of the faith that these two men showed. Help us to understand and help us to emulate that faith when we take a look at our own life and, and the way things seem to be going. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, please. So, there are two distinct needs that are brought. These two passages are very, very, very parallel. Um, first, you have the leper, who is presumably, we don't know for sure, but he's probably Jewish. Um, he comes before Jesus, he kneels at Jesus' feet, and says, if, if, you, if you will it, Lord, I'll be clean. Jesus comes down from the mountain. He's got a whole bunch of people following him. 
This is not a secluded place. This is not a private event. This is very public. Just the sight of the leper could very well have started a riot in the first place. In the Old Testament, uh, there are... (laughs) I'll talk about leprosy for just a second here. Um, In the Old Testament, the word that is often translated into English as leprosy is not necessarily the medical condition known as Hansen's disease or leprosy. There are many different skin conditions that fell under that category back then. Um, Psoriasis, even some cases of severe eczema or a rash under certain circumstances, if they met the right conditions, would have qualified as the, the category of leprosy. The thing with these skin conditions was, and and it's true today, if you have severe eczema, you are prone to skin infections. If you have psoriasis, you are prone to skin infections. And those infections can be really, really, really nasty. And in some cases, like we have today with MRSA, they can be very contagious. They can transmit. They can spread. And so... Whether it was really leprosy, which is very communicable and fatal, or whether it was one of these other skin conditions, the leper was required to be separated from all the people. And they generally walked around in in wrapped cloths because they were easy to to use as bandages and stuff for the oozing and the, the, the yuck that comes with these skin conditions. And they would wear a bell around their neck. Y'all know why they would wear a bell around their neck? It's to warn people so that people knew they were coming, so people could stay away from them. Because they, the law, the Jewish law, required them to stay away from people. They weren't just ceremonially unclean, they were medically unclean. It was unsafe to be in their presence. So they would have to stay segregated. There would be whole colonies of these lepers who would, the only contact they would have would be with one another. They were ostracized from their families. They were cut off from people. And so when they approached a crowd of people, if they had to go somewhere, let's say they had to go someplace to buy food, or if they had to go present themselves to the priest, where they had to be in a populated area, not only would they have the bell that was ringing to let people know that there's a leper coming, but they would have to shout, unclean, as they're walking through the crowd, as a precaution. (coughs) Not only was there the physical aspect of this, but there was the spiritual aspect. Lepers were spiritually, ceremonially unclean. If you were diagnosed with one of these conditions that counted as leprosy, you could not go to temple. Period. You couldn't go to the synagogue. Period. You couldn't go anywhere there were people. Which meant you were cut off from worshiping God. So there's a spiritual component and a physical component. Until they had been through the the examination by the priest and the cleansing ritual and everything else, they couldn't associate with 
anybody. They had to suffer this stigma of being a leper. And here we are at the foot of the mountain, on the way into Capernaum, which is a big city on the Sea of Galilee. This leper appears, and when it says the big crowd followed Jesus, do you really think the crowd was all behind him? No. There were probably people all over the place. You know, kind of like a parade. Kind of like when somebody big and important comes to visit. There's a little bubble of space, maybe, where the the important person was, where their inner circle was that they were talking to, but there were people all over the place. And I can just envision this in my head, that as the crowd is moving down off the mountain, there's this other little bubble that opens up around this leper who makes a beeline to Jesus. And in the middle of this crowd, this leper stops and kneels, at Jesus' feet. Now, what was the crowd's reaction? We don't know. Yeah, Scripture doesn't tell us. But, we can probably guess that most of the people moved away for fear of contamination, especially spiritual contamination, right? Right? The inner circle, the disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, those those who that Jesus had been teaching specifically on the hillside, they probably stayed back, but not far from Jesus because he's their teacher. But I can guarantee everybody was watching. What was the job of a rabbi if they encountered somebody with leprosy? You rebuke them for being in the crowd. You tell them, away. You need to go present yourself to the priest if you're clean and and go. But Jesus didn't do that. This rabbi, this young teacher stops and doesn't rebuke the leper. He doesn't condemn the leper. He doesn't chase them away. He doesn't send his, his students to go drive him off. He stops. And he looks down at the man. And the the leper recognizes Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will it, you can make me clean. If it's your desire, you can make me clean. He's not hedging his bets. We do this when we pray. And I'm not picking on anybody's particular prayer. This is just something that I have seen and I've read articles on it and I've heard sermons on it and everything else. This leper is not hedging his bets. He does not say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, but if you don't, that's okay too because you must have some higher purpose for me to suffer. No. He kneels at Jesus' feet and says, God, if it's your will, you can make me clean. Period. He's asking for healing. And he's not hedging his bets. He's not telling Jesus, it's okay if you don't. When we approach God in prayer, we need to make sure that we're not hedging our bets. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to pray for God's will to be done. I'm not saying it's a bad idea for us to make sure that we are understanding that when we have a prayer request. But, you know, God also tells us in His Word 
that we need to ask the desires of our heart. Now, the desire of my heart should be for God's will to be done more than anything. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, what did he say? (laughs) Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So that should be part of our prayer life. But that doesn't mean that I can't lay myself on the floor in front of God and say, I want more than anything for this family member to be healed. I heard a, a podcast a couple, three, four, five, six years ago now. It was Family Life Today was the, the podcast. Uh, Dennis Rainey and, and uh, I forget what his, his uh, sidekick's name is. The individual they had on the podcast had recovered from a severe skin condition. Much like leprosy, but not leprosy. Uh, no, this, this was bad. Uh, he actually, it was an autoimmune response. His skin fell off. His skin fell off. So, and he was in extremely bad shape. He was in the hospital. He was a pastor. And he's laying in the hospital bed, and the members of his church are coming, and, and, and they've gathered around his bed because the doctors have said, Look, <laughs> We don't know why it happened or how to stop it. And he's covered in bandages that are full of ointment and everything, and, and there's a very high likelihood this guy's going to die. And into the hospital room walks this little old man, had to be 90-some-odd years old, with a cane. And all I can think of when I see this is a picture of Bob Dias, who kind of busts into the circle with his little cane all hunched over, And he walks into the middle of the room. He walks right up to the edge of the bed. And then that little old man climbed up on the bed and laid across the body of his pastor and prayed, God, heal this man. Now, mind you, his whole congregation is gathered around. His family is gathered around, and they're all praying for his health. But what this pastor said was when this little old man said that, he said, finally, a bold prayer. Because all of the other prayers around the room were, Lord, if it's your will, we would love to see our pastor restored to health, but if it's not, it's okay, and we know that you're going to heal him ultimately in heaven, and, and so on and so on. This little old man who'd walked with the Lord for so many years climbed up on the bed and said, God, heal my preacher. And the guy was healed. (laughs) He immediately started to recover. His vital signs improved. And years later, he was able to be on the show. And my point here is, again... It's not a bad thing for us to recognize that ultimately it's God's will, not our will. But we need to be bold when we present those prayers to God. This leper was bold. I mean, come on. You've got a guy who's ostracized from society walking into the middle of a parade to kneel at Jesus' feet and say, I want to be healed. And you can do it. That's bold. That's brash.
The thing about this guy is faith. A diagnosis of leprosy, whether it really was leprosy or not, was pretty much a death sentence. Except instead of a death sentence where like, you know, you go to prison for a little while and then they march you to the execution chamber, right? With leprosy, you get to live through the whole thing. It's not just like they take you out behind the barn and shoot you. Oh, you've got leprosy. Sorry. Out. Don't touch anybody. A rabbi, a teacher, a Pharisee, none of them would come to the leper colony to preach or to teach. They were cut off from the religious life of Israel. God's people. And they were cut off. They were lost. They weren't touched. They had to leave their families and their kids. Could you imagine that? Never being able to hug your spouse again, even though both of you are still alive. Never being able to shake somebody's hand ever again. Because lepers wouldn't touch each other either. Because you never knew if it was a leper. You never knew when a handshake was going to turn into a hand full of hand. You know, like fingers breaking off and stuff. Because that's what happens with leprosy. So they lost all human touch. And here Jesus reaches out and touches him. That was probably the most significant touch this man ever experienced in his life. And he was immediately healed. This is a picture of the breaking down of the walls that the people of Israel had built in their lives. The priests, the Pharisees, the the Levites, the scribes, the Sadducees, all of these religious groups that spent all of their time in the temple studying the Word of God would never go to the lepers. Jesus came to minister to those who were cut off and separated and lost. Kind of foreshadows the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? Because the people who should have been ministering to those who needed ministry were not. Jesus, in his compassion, his love, he touched the man, he healed him. And then he said, just to, to kind of to put feet to his, his statement at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What did he tell the man to do? Don't tell anybody that you've been healed. Go see the priest and make the offering that Moses commanded. Keep the law. Do what the law says. You've been healed. Now, what do you think the leper was going to tell the priest? I mean, let's. <laughs> he goes to the priest and says, Hey, by the way, my leprosy's gone. Remember me? Leprosy is not something that just went away. Yeah, it's fatal. So what's the priest going to say? 
How did this happen? What did you do? What do you think that man's going to say? The teacher, Jesus, touched me, and I was healed. Just hold that back of your head. That brings us to the second man in the story. Now we're in the city of Capernaum, and it's a centurion. A centurion is a commander of a unit of 100 troops, Roman soldiers. So this guy is not even a Jew. He is a Roman. He is a pagan. And he comes to Jesus because his servant is suffering. Now, it's possible, we don't know, his slave may have been a Jewish person, which could possibly explain why he would go to a Jewish rabbi for him to be healed. I don't know if maybe this particular centurion may have been a God-fearer, one of the Romans who had accepted the God of Israel but had not gone through with the process of conversion because, ouch, right? But he comes to Jesus and... (laughs) Here's a guy who commands a hundred troops. He's a powerful man. Now, this is this is like now this would be like my squadron commander. Parallel. This is not somebody without influence. And he comes to Jesus to plead on behalf of his servant. That's pretty significant right there. That shows compassion that you wouldn't expect from a Roman. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is sick. And he's paralyzed in this illness and he's stuck at home and he can't get out of bed and he's suffering terribly. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. Lead the way. I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, whoa, stop. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm not, I'm nowhere, I understand what rank structure is, and no. Like I said, this this would be like the equivalent of my squadron commander. That would be like saying that the president was going to just drop into base housing. I'm not comparing Jesus and the president and all that kind of stuff. I'm saying this is is the equivalent. And the centurion says, no, that's no, not going to, that's no. It's a servant. He's sick. You don't have to come to my house. I'm a commander. I understand how this works. When I tell people to go, they go. When I tell them to do, they do. It's easy. All you have to do is desire for my servant to be healed and command it right where you stand and it'll happen. Look at what Matthew says about this. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Jesus was blown away by the faith of the centurion. This guy isn't even Jewish, and he recognizes the authority that Jesus has. He's heard, maybe on his own, probably secondhand, 
that Jesus was a powerful teacher whose messages were accompanied by miracles. And so Jesus, Jesus turns to the people that are with him, and he's like, do you guys hear this? Can you believe this? I've been all over, because remember, Jesus went to Jerusalem to be baptized in the Jordan River, and then he made his way back up to Galilee. That's not a short trip on foot. He made this trip. He said, I've been all over Israel. I've talked to people all over Israel. I haven't seen faith this great in all of Israel. And he heals the servant. Jesus makes a statement. In verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is the picture of the gospel going out beyond Israel. The gospel going out beyond just the Jews. Believers are going to come from everywhere. But then he says, while the sons of the kingdom, he's speaking about the Jews who have rejected who he is, or who will have rejected who he is, who will not be included. They'll be thrown into the outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just like we talked about in chapter 7, when Jesus said that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy and cast out demons and preach messages and sing songs and do all of these great works in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Jesus is telling them here again that there are going to be a lot of people, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be a lot of people who think, I went to church, I'm good. I was baptized, I'm good. I walked the aisle, I prayed a prayer. I even taught a Sunday school class, I'm good. But they're not. And so Jesus told the disciples again, again, to help them to understand that the kingdom of God isn't made up only of the physical descendants of Abraham. But it was going to be the spiritual descendants, those who had faith like the centurion. Those who had the faith of Abraham. That's what Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. And all of the churches around the Gentile areas where Paul went on his missionary journeys, they realized this. You remember when the Gentiles were integrated into the church? Who was it that went to the Gentiles first? Peter did. And he had to be, <laughs> he had to be convinced that that was a good idea. Remember, he's meditating up on the roof and he sees the vision of the, the blanket full of unclean animals come down. And he hears a voice from heaven, Peter, go eat. And Peter, in true Peter form, I can't, God, I'm a good Jew. Peter, what did you just call me? 
God. I just told you, go eat. But I'm a good Jew. I get that, Peter. I'm God. I'm bigger. Go eat. Oh. Peter had to be thinking, man, this is like talking to Jesus. And then the gears start to click into place, and Peter, he hears the knock downstairs. Hey, we're from Cornelius' house. We've been sent to bring Peter to us. Oh, hey, we, okay, hey, we're supposed to go to the Gentiles. <laughs> Boy, I'm thick. And he goes to the house of Cornelius, and he shares the gospel, and the Gentiles are saved, and they're brought into the kingdom. This is the picture of the church. People from everywhere are going to make up the church. And so, we have that community. We have that body, which is the church. And it spans racial boundaries. I hate that word, racial. There is but one race, it's the human race. Period. Genetically, we're all related. We can trace everybody back to Noah. Spans gender boundaries. As Paul wrote in Galatians, there is no more male or female, slave or free. Doesn't matter. Jew or Greek. It spans economic boundaries. It's not the rich people get into heaven, the poor people don't. It even spans the boundaries of time. Because we are part of the same body that Peter and Matthew and James and John and Augustine and Luther and Calvin and William Carey and and Charles Spurgeon were part of the same body. We're part of the same church. So we have communion with the saints. The Old Testament saints with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have communion with those who will come after us until the time that Jesus returns. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion is that community that we have between us and the rest of the body which is the church now as we prepare to celebrate communion as we always do I'm going to ask you to take a moment to pray. I'm going to ask you to consider, contemplate, think. Ask God to show you where those places are in your life that you have let sin take a hold and build a stronghold. Maybe... It is unforgiveness. Somebody hurt you. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody, I don't know, fill in the blank. And you have not forgiven them. Maybe it's anger towards a perceived injustice. Maybe it's ungratitude. Not being thankful for what you have or who you are. 
Ask God to show you in your life those things that you need to repent from. And taking into account Paul's admonishment to the Corinthian church that it's better to not partake than to partake in an unworthy fashion. If there is anything that God brings to your mind that would keep you from celebrating, then don't. It's it's far better to pass on the plate and the cup than it is to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. And finally, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you have not placed your faith and trust in His completed work on the cross, if you don't know Him as your Savior, I urge you to pass until such a time as you have come to that conclusion that you know Christ as your Savior. 